Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and along with me today, I've got Ron Huntley. How are you doing today, Ron? Very well, thanks. It's good to see you, buddy. And next to me is Father James Mell. And how are you doing, Father? I'm very well, Dan. Thank you. And joining us in a little while will be Bill Scollard, who is the Director of Pastoral Ministries at St. Benedict Parish. And I, what I'm excited to talk to him about is sort of the, the game plan and how, in many respects, he is the fruit of the game plan at St. Benedict Parish. Sure is. It's been fun to get to know him. It's been fun to journey with him, and I can't wait to hear his story. People are going to love it. So let me let me ask you a question before we, we invite Bill mm-hmm. on. What are some of the stories that we've had in the last Actually, week? Actually, hang on. Before you go there, I just want to you, – you talked about the game plan. I'm just conscious. Oh, right. we've, had, we've had <laughs> yeah. a lot of uh, – this point. The podcast last week, we were, in one week, we had like a 1,000 people. So it's we've got a lot of new folks, and I'm thinking – the game plan, what are they talking about? No, Bill does have a football background, so that kind of works <laughs> in. But our game plan at St. Benedict is is the term we use to describe our, our strategy, our plan to fulfill our, our purpose. And the purpose of St. Benedict Parish is to form disciples who joyfully live out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so our game plan is is something that we enunciated a number of years ago, very clearly kind of simplified. Yeah. And we did that so that we could be more intentional about doing the thing that makes the biggest difference. And Bill's also, in many respects, he's sort of the, the product of not just the game plan, but he's a product of the leadership pipeline, uh, like so many leaders at St. Benedict Parish. But now we're talking too much about Bill because yes. we don't have Bill with us yet. <laughs> but it's a great story because he actually took story. Ron's job. <laughs> he did. I got fired and he got hired. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I think things have turned around for you lately, Ron. How have things been going in this last week? <laughs> well, you know, it's been fun. I love coaching. It's so much fun to engage with pastors and their leadership teams all around the world and help them try to figure some of this stuff out. It's so much fun. And one of the things that, one of the themes that I noticed in the last week or so is how senior leadership team meetings can sometimes get hijacked by accident. And I remember when we went through this, and you'll mm. remember this too, Father mm. James, at different times we were combining different types of meeting. And Patrick Lencioni's book, Death by Meeting, was really helpful. Yes. And I know Tanya uh, Rogerson was so helpful at kind of being the forerunner of this stuff and bringing it back to us to help us understand why our meetings weren't very good. And so it's been fun to work this week with some people on their senior leadership team meetings, actually the last couple of weeks, and diving into it deeper, helping them understand Mm. the difference between strategic meetings and and maybe even smaller strategic items and tactical things. And remember when we were going through that? Yeah, we had had meeting soup and it was like (laughs) we felt that something wasn't right, but we just didn't know it. And a shout out to Tanya Rogerson, if you're listening, Tanya, thanks so much uh, for for introducing me to the writings of of Patrick Lencioni. But in the book Death by Meeting, he he talks about this that uh, we experience death by meeting not because we have too many meetings, because if you lead yes. into leadership, I hate to tell you, you're actually going to have more meetings. <laughs> meetings, yeah. Uh, but the question is the right type of meetings. Meetings that are life giving, and one of the things that saps our energy is when we have a meeting where you, it's a mishmash, it's a meeting soup where you get into vision, you know, you're, you're wrestling about your dream and, and where you want to go. And then you the next thing, you know, you're talking about strategy and then you're dealing with a myriad of tactical issues. Like, so what is it? Are, are, you, are you talking vision? Are you talking strategy? Are you, are you talking tactics? And, and so uh, with the SLT model, you're really opening those out. And, and the primary focus of a senior leadership team really is tactics. And those are the those are the, the, the decisions that need to make yes. to be made to implement your strategy, your your big plan. You know, yeah. I love the quote from Mike Tyson, who's I know Mike Tyson, <laughs> not the most politically correct guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's got this great quote that that uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And you know, if you if you develop a plan, it's one thing to develop a plan to move your church from maintenance to mission. But as soon as you begin to execute your plan, see, see, people are not opposed to the idea of change. But as soon as people feel change, you're going to get punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And there are things that, that pop up. So everyone, if you stop and think right now, everyone who's listening, whatever you've got a plan to do in your life, regardless of your role, there are, are things that pop up that, that, that hinder your, that slow the implementation of your plan down. Mm-hmm. They prevent you from executing. And they're often decisions that need to be made. And we don't make them. Why? Because we're afraid. Uh, because when you make a decision, you're always usually going to make someone mad at you, uh, and or we don't know what to do. Right. And so that's one of the key things of an SLT, a senior leadership team, is to help you make those key tactical decisions. But the difficult thing is, if we're not careful, there can be a drift in your meeting. You know, yes. you can put up on the board a whole bunch of tactical issues we need to dis- to discuss, but you can very easily find yourself moving into stri- into an area of strategic thinking, mm. and. I think, Ron, remember when we were living this ourselves, we we eventually came to distinguish two levels of strategy. And that was an interesting distinction because, you know, because of your travel schedule, because you have a global ministry as well as uh, being the pastor of a parish, so at times there, um, we would miss your presence. And we would feel like sometimes, we'd meet anyway, mm. but we'd feel like things were getting clogged up. And I remember one time we were frustrated, and I think you were coming in from somewhere else. We had you on the, the screen, and, and we were zooming you in. And, uh, and I remember whatever we brought to you, you said, we've already decided that. That's not a strategic, that's small S strategy. We've already agreed on the big S strategy, and you guys have authority to execute on the, and I was like, oh. <laughs> didn't even dawn on me that because we never uh, talked we like that before that, that, that's big letter s strategy but the other the other uh, understanding would be applicable as well. <laughs> it's a big s big strategy, s. The s strategy. and then so, that. because one of the things is a, it's a topic that come that comes up often is what is the relationship between an slt and, and a pastoral council we great chat time. last night in one of the pastor cohorts on this topic because one of our one of our parishes that didn't have a pastoral council for nine years has established one and they did an amazing process of discernment uh, but bringing people on you mean yeah, yeah oh cool so how does you know if if you set up a, a mechanism for for dealing with tactical issues because if you move out of maintenance tactical issues are going to multiply the questions because you're in different territory right absolutely and and another parish was also saying they were experiencing tension with the pastoral council because they were saying well what is our role now but you've got to if you create one you've got to shift the purpose of the other because sometimes in parishes, pastoral councils are a, a whole mixture of stuff. And so if you do have a, a senior leadership team for tactical issues, you've got to move your pastoral council towards big picture strategic issues. And that's where we found the difference between big strategy, big picture strategy, and small strategy. And, and big S and small S. Big S and small S. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and pastoral council really is dealing, you know, if you can keep the discussion around vision, where are we going? What's the ultimate dream? What's the five-year dream? What's the five-year goal? Or, or what's a, a plan, a strategic plan for five years? And how are we doing with that? But when you come back to senior leadership team, you, of course, there's going to be some things you're going to have to stop and talk about about strategy. So here's what we found in the meetings. If you're the key thing about tactical questions is you got to make decisions. The thing you put on the board 
are not discussions about which you're going to need to have an hour to, to think right. things through. They're things about which we need to have a, dis- a decision. But sometimes when you're when you're in wrestling with the decision, you realize, oh my goodness, we actually need to put more thought into this. We need more data. We need more information. We need more people around the table other than the senior leadership team. So what we would do is we'd we'd park that issue, identify it as a strategic issue. Mm -hmm. And although we struggled with it at first, you need to set up almost once a month, a a block of time for just keep the time open for strategic conversations because they're going to come up. It's not a conversation you need to bring to the the pastoral council, perhaps, but you need to bring the key stakeholders in your parish, ministry leaders and others, as well as members of your senior leadership team. Not too big, though, right? Not too big. You don't want it to go too big. No, because you add that into your senior leadership team, and now all of a sudden you have a meeting where it's a disaster. That's right. And it it really breaks down. One or two others that it would be specific. influence that area so that's one question of, of the kind of strategy that you would you would need to do that and have a separate meeting the other thing too is sometimes it's okay in a senior leadership team to say okay we're, we're going to take 10 15 minutes and think yes. through this i mean some topics don't need a two-hour meeting that's right you know so mm-hmm. you got to really work it on on the fly but one of the things you've got to be careful of is is beware of the drift catch the drift because and that took us a while because I found it very confusing. And then once I really understood it, then I would try to sneak things in on purpose to see if, because it was really important to me. And when they would catch me yeah, on yeah, it, I'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah. no, that's a strategic. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Okay, maybe it is. Turn it all. <laughs> There's no hard lines between these two. I mean, when does when does a tactical conversation begin to bleed into, into strategy? What is low-level strategy, high-level? Yeah. You've got to kind of work that out in the when you're in the trenches. So don't 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 be too fixated on it, but at the same time be careful of that strategic drift because otherwise your SLT meetings are going to they're going to be long, mm-hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna end up in meeting soup. What yeah. I love is that you know what you're sharing, Ron, is that this is this is one of the parishes in our coaching networks. One of the coaches. several. So you yeah several <laughs> of, pardon me several yeah. of the parishes because you, you and your team are coaching parishes all over the world. They've been journeying with you and the, mm-hmm. and the divine renovation coaching team for a little while, and it's still not easy. Like mm, this is like so you know true. Like, you, they've read they've, they've read they've That's read Father James's books. Do, they, do a word search of all everything we've written. If the word easy comes up, uh, maybe someone has doctored the, the manuscript. <laughs> I don't know. And we have seen some people put easy next to the, our work before, which is, is always given us a bit of a laugh. But I, what, what I find so fascinating about it is it, it's a good reminder that even when you're you're into this, even when you've read the books, even when you, you you've been you've been go- going along with the coach, you're still finding these these nuances are important. They're not simple. They're not easy and that we we do need occasionally outside people to, to help us see some of these things oh my gosh dan it's so true i, I don't know how people because you don't know what you don't know right. and and you get into patterns of behavior and communicating with each other that they kind of become ruts in the road sometimes and you don't have fresh eyes and to be able to come in and i always consider it such a privilege and so do the coaches on our yeah. team they just love what they do because it often doesn't take much to get people out of those ruts but they themselves can't do it. Yeah, like they themselves find it hard. You, you raised the issue of fresh eyes, and I had two very interesting conversations this past week with with priests in our in our cohorts because part of our our, our coaching network, Ron and the other coaches, the, they do one on one coaching with the priests and with the priest leadership teams. So once a month, I I have groups of the pastors together, and I it's amazing. I I, I love it. 
Uh, last night, for instance, we had uh, in our cohort a couple of guys from Halifax, uh, guys from Omaha, Nebraska, from Brisbane, Australia, in London, England. It is we had everything from nine o'clock in the morning to eleven o'clock at, at night, and everything in, in, in between. That's it was, not confusing. It was, it was wonderful. But this past week, in two different cohorts, two different priests spoke about a similar dynamic around fresh eyes. They spoke to me about going to diocesan meetings with their brother priests and with the bishop, and they were dealing with difficult subjects. And in both instances, these priests were the only ones who stood up. There was a tension in the room where you could tell that the majority of priests were really struggling with what was being spoken about, but no one was saying anything. People people were being silent. And there's that retreat, you know, when, when there's issues, our tendency is, is either to become silent or violent. You know, it's either I, I become angry and opposed or I just shut down. Mm-hmm. And and often among priests in the church, we shut down because it's not right to be violent. You know, that's not, that's not we're supposed to be nice. But both of these priests were the only guys who spoke up and they shared with me afterwards people were come priests were coming up to them saying thanks for saying that Th- thanks thanks for saying it and they were they were reflecting out loud to me about how strange it was for them to observe a situation where there wasn't a freedom to speak and it, this is not about disrespecting the authority of the bishop i mean this i think when we speak truth and love as saint paul says we actually respect authority uh, but one of the things i was able to to point out to them is that but you've been immersed in, in this past year or more in a very different way of doing it. You've been exercising and living this this model within your parish. And and now you've got fresh eyes. <laughs> so now you're going yeah. into your Dawson meeting and you're, you're seeing things you never saw before. And one of the questions I asked for them was, you know how that dynamic you observed? I wonder if that's what your parish was like two years ago with how your parishioners oh, felt with your leadership. With your, absolutely. It was so, that reminds me of a story of a guy I was coaching at the very first meeting. I said, with the team, I said, we've got some issues because there's there's mistrust on your team. He didn't see it, was really offended, actually hmm. was upset with me because I spoke into that and really took the defense of his team and you don't know who we are and it's like fair enough but i could see it as plain as day mm-hmm. anyway it was several months later after being in the network that he himself had a meeting with his team as he continued to dive into this i really applaud him for that and then he realized he saw it he finally saw it within his yeah. team and what's so great is he's been addressing it and creating a vulnerability-based trust culture that they can have healthy conflict and really everybody's free to speak into it but he didn't see it and so when i spoke into it he actually was offended mm-hmm. but months later after we continued to use this language as we continued to color and his understanding of what healthy culture looked like he had a meeting of his own with his team and he thought oh now I see it. Isn't that beautiful? I think this is such an important element, and it's one of the beautiful insights from Pat Lencioni's writings, is the importance of healthy conflict. It's one of the non-negotiables of, of, of at least, you know, in, in our own reflections about the role of a senior leadership team. They can only really function if you have healthy conflict, because if you've got passionate people, people who care, there's always going to be conflict because people are never going to agree 100% unless everyone is on like Prozac or something. You're going to, you're going to have conflict. And, but yet in the church, there's this idea that I'm supposed to be nice and agreeable and therefore I shouldn't disagree. To, to disagree with someone is to personally insult them or right. oppose them. And, and that's certainly 
out there everywhere in in human organizations. But I think there's there's this extra moral thing within the church that this is the way it should mm. be. But what happens is if you don't deal with conflict in a healthy way, it goes underground and it becomes unhealthy. And that's that's when we enter into politics. It's it's not politics you know, chosen because we want to be political. It's often a, a pol- political uh, landmines that, that are created because we don't want to offend one another because we're actually trying to care and be nice to each other. But in the long term, that doesn't work. And, and we need to have places where we can have those difficult conversations and have health, healthy conflict at the parish level. And for goodness sake, my brother priests with our bishops as well. That's not disrespecting. That's that's actually showing respect for the office of bishop. One of the great gifts, I think, of, of Pat Lencioni's work and the way that we've we've adopted and adapted so much of, of his things into the parish culture is that it's actually not just exclusive to the leadership team of a parish, right? We see right. those same principles, like, you Absolutely. know, like, they're the exact same principles that we would apply in our divine renovation ministry, as a for yes. instance, right? Like yeah. at our ministry level, we have lots of healthy conflict, lots of healthy conflict, lots of, <laughs> lots of healthy conflict. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, we do. Like it, yeah, it's, it's part fun. of the way we operate and it's important to us because it helps us get to the best answers. But but it's very important that, that these, these values are lived out at the top level. Because right, yep. It's one of the tasks of leadership to, to establish the culture. And how do you establish a culture? By living it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so this is absolutely key. You can't, if, if we're moving forward as a church, if more and more dioceses are going to be grappling with restructuring and, and calling priests to, to lead uh, out of teams and of teams, the only way to effectively lead out of a team is, is that team to be healthy. Well, hey, guess what, Bishop? Uh, diocesan leaders, you've got to do it too. You've got Amen. to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to live these very dynamics as well. Otherwise, yeah. you know, people are not dumb. They're going to recognize, hey, all the stuff you're telling us to do, give me a break. We know that at this point in the building, at this point in the hallway, it stops and doesn't go any further. Yes, it's true. I remember the joke, two caterpillars walking along and they see a butterfly fly overhead and one caterpillar looks at the other caterpillar and says, you'll never catch me up in one of those. Like sometimes you don't know the difference until you experience it. And people don't know health until they experience it. But once they do, there's no going back. There's no going back, and that's what I see. And, and it forces you to have the improve your skills with books like Crucial Conversations, so that you can actually enter into. I've, I was thinking as we're talking about healthy conflict in our meetings. I love our leadership team meetings. Like I, lo- I loved them when I was at St. Benedict on that leadership team. I love them at the Divine Renovation leadership team. And I'm just laughing the other day when we're having whatever. You took a pen and threw it at Dan because we're arguing about something. I, I thought this is so much fun. We have to get a Nerf gun. So I'm just gonna get their eye taken out. But thankfully. You have glasses, but you know it's just so much fun when you do it well. When you have high trust, when you when you have a common vision, when you have a diversity of gifts and strengths, you have different angles of looking at things. That I know, I'm a. You guys make me a better person. Because what often happens too, when you don't have for whatever reasons an established habit of dealing with healthy conflict with because of maybe lack of trust or or, or lack of vision, you know, because ultimately the the. The root of the conflict is not simply disagreeing on tactical decisions or a strategy. It's, it's a vision problem, which is a deeper issue. Sometimes it's lack of awareness, too, of our impact on people, right? It's, mm. it, it, it's, yeah. it's lack that, of too, ownership but of how we behave. you often experience, like, if you're a member of a team, 
and the discussion starts moving close to a particular topic and everyone freezes up because although it's never been openly discussed, everyone in, inherently knows you don't go there because there's yes. maybe one person on the team for whom right. uh, if, you, if you even go there, it's considered to be a personal attack. Uh, then everyone learns that very quickly without even it, it, without it even being said. And that's when there's a real problem because that means there's a whole range of, of key issues uh, that, that simply cannot be addressed because you don't have uh, the habit uh, of, of healthy conflict. People, it, they, it's the, the fool's choice, as it says in the book Crucial Conversations. Either you, the only choice you have is avoid the conversation and maintain the relationship or address the issue and lose the relationship. And the whole point is, I think there's a third way. Amen. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, I would love for us to, to pause here because I'm excited to get Bill and I want to give him lots of time to talk because I know his story is a really powerful one. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. And Bill Scollard, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thank you. And so, Bill, your, your position title at St. Benedict Parish is Director of Pastoral Ministries. Is that right? It is. Yeah. And how long, just, just to set the stage, how long have you been in that job now? Uh, six and a half months. Six and a half months. So you're still, still, still edging your way into into Ron's Ron's old gig. The learning curve's still high. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So, Bill, I don't even know where to start with your story. I know a little bit of it. I don't know all of it though. So, where, where's a good point to jump in with you? Wow. <laughs> How long do we have? Um, you know what? I, I'd say uh, probably five years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so, what, where were you five years ago? Yeah. You know, I was uh, from a from a church standpoint, nowhere. Um, turned 50 five years ago. Um, a lovely wife, three great kids, great job selling beer, which I've been doing for about 20-something years That's a by good then. Job. Yeah, it's a great job. So you, you were selling drugs and you were selling beer. That's right. <laughs> you can't yeah. say that without explaining yeah, that he has a background in the pharmaceutical industry. Legal drugs. Legal drugs. So, uh, you know, life was perfect. And uh, uh, after uh, soon after I turned 50, actually, I started to struggle a little bit. I wasn't making a big deal of it, but I was I was struggling, and uh, never had happened before. Um, it didn't go away, and I uh, didn't tell anybody, but uh, it was getting uh, significant. And I woke up one Sunday morning and decided to go to church, which uh, and I grew up a cradle Catholic, uh, which was defined by Dad making me and my four siblings go to church every Sunday, and that was always a battle. Uh, once we left home, none of my siblings or I went back because uh, there's really nothing there for us anyway, except that's kind of archaic rules. And, um, you know, again, got on with my life. But uh, on that, that particularly tough Sunday, I decided to go to uh, St. Ignatius, actually, which was in our neighborhood. Hadn't been there. Uh, went into the church, didn't know anybody, which was great. I hid on the side uh, so no one would see me, which was perfect. Um, Father Pat, who I'd never met, got up to give the homily of the sermon. And... Um, the first question he asked the congregation was, is there anyone here who people think have it all and they're completely empty inside? Wow. So that was kind of him talking to me, or Jesus talking to me, I guess. Mm. Uh, bald like a baby for the rest of that mass, got mm. out into my car, and I had the first conversation I ever had with Jesus and basically told him that uh, it, this wasn't working with me at the wheel and I'm turning it over to him. Had no idea what I was talking about. I went home and told my wife that. She says, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. A week later, I went to see Father Pat, and we had a you know two-hour conversation. Um, I went to a con- uh, we did confession there. That took a long time. And uh, I started on this ridiculous, unexpected journey that has me doing this podcast today. not crazy? <laughs> I remember Pat. when Father Pat called me and said, because I've been talking to him about 
people of people who have capacity, people who you see have influence, and, and kind of the whole concept of bringing them closer to yourself so that you can raise them up. And I remember talking to him about that, and he called me on the phone and said, I found him. I said, you found who? I found the type of guy you're talking about, and I'm going to send him over to the men's leadership gym. And I remember meeting you that morning. You were a little chilly. <laughs> yeah, really, really, really briefly, Father Pat <laughs> told me it's a men's leadership group, which we, a men's uh, leadership group, which so we So it's not together. like a, like a, a yeah, workout. Yeah, we should just no, no what leadership gym is. Yeah, no G-Y-M, work. God, you, and me. God, you, and me, yeah. yeah. The biggest workout is just getting yourself out of bed early in the morning. <laughs> First thing in the morning, yeah. And on that topic, um, Father Pat said they start at 6 in the morning. It was a terribly cold February. Um, I wanted to be keen, and I'm, I, I'm, I didn't know where the church was, St. Benedict. So I uh, got up at, I got there about 515 Oh. Wandering around in bitter cold, trying to find snow up to your I, hips. Because I, so, I didn't think I was at the right church. So, for the sake of those maybe watching <laughs> from warmer climes, when you say bitter cold, what are we talking about here? It, oh, it was it was well below zero, like like, like twenty below zero. Yeah, wind, wind chill in the rest. Se- right? Celsius, Sorry, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm wandering around, peering in windows. I think I'm at the wrong <laughs> church, and I'm thinking Pat, I thought Pat was supposed to meet me. So now I've disappointed him. I don't have a phone number for him, and it was an hour of just taking laps around the church. You hung in there for an hour. I did. Well, well that's incredible. Yeah. So, and and finally, a parishioner actually showed up, and I said, "Is this so and so? And is this the men's gym?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came in. I met Ron. Um, we had a you know a wonderful morning. I was sort of just sitting in the back there and kind of watching it all, mm-hmm. and um, you know continued to come and you know met some of you guys and and like I said, five years later, it's, uh, the world's a bit different. And I and I got to share this with you, mm-hmm. which you guys may not be aware of. This is the one year anniversary week of the breakfast at Chorus. Which I had with you, Father, and, oh, and Ron. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. And you said we'd like to have you come on board full time. Wow. Wow. You know, your story reminds me of that, that scripture verse, a version of, of something that Jesus said for, for many are cold, but few are frozen. What <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> translation is that? <laughs> yeah, we were a degree or two away from frozen. <laughs> I, Bill, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to know you over these last number of years, mm-hmm. and it's. I mean, occasionally something like this happens in people's lives, but really such a singular grace for for God to, you know, sovereignly break into your life in such a powerful way. It And the power of it is still very, very real. And it's mm-hmm. given you a heartbeat, I think, because you came, you had been for so many years away from from the life of the church. One of the gifts that you've been to us is, mm-hmm. is helping, is reminding us constantly that to be missionary, we need to have a, a sensitivity to people like yourself and you were refreshing to us because you were like well what does that mean and what does that mean and what is what does this mean it's so true like, you help us to keep that focus uh, because we can become very very churchy and you you've you still have retained this passion uh, and sensitivity towards reaching those who are on the outside thanks one of my first memories of you, Bill, which isn't of you, but it's of your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were I, I, someone I can't even recall who it was. Now I was at some sort of an event, uh, probably a, a small gathering of people from from the St. Benedict community, and uh, it was there was beer there, and it was like complimentary beer. And I can remember saying, "Oh, this is wonderful. There's beer here," and they're like, "Oh yeah, Bill gave it to us." I said, who's Bill? <laughs> who's this Bill? Oh, he works for a brewery. He gets free beer. So Bill works for a brewery and gets free beer. Like that's got to be a dream job for so many people. And you quit. You quit after how many years? Twenty six and a half. Twenty six and a half years. You left a job that gave you free beer. How is how's that going for you? Are you feeling okay with that? Have you reconciled to it? You know what? It, it was um, probably the easiest decision of my life. 
Um, but, but you know, as it, going back to that breakfast meeting, fa- father said, like, we've got a full-time job. Ron's moving on to bigger and better, and, and we need you to want him to be his backfill. What I said at the time was, I said, Father, thank you, humbled by the ask or by the offer. I'm, there's a hundred reasons why that's not going to happen. And you said, you know what, if it's God's plan, he's got a way of taking down those barriers. So we mm-hmm. prayed right at the table. And over the next three, four months, all these barriers, which were significant barriers, mm-hmm. all came down. Mm-hmm. I thought the other interesting thing, I remember what that meeting was. I said to Father James at the time, I said, what are your plans? And he said, oh, I just met with the bishop. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I just signed up for eight <laughs> more years at St. Benedict Parish. <laughs> Yeah. God's plan. <laughs> and it was it was only a few weeks after that I think that yeah, that, we, that there was a significant intervention in my own life to shift direction. But we're still here. Hmm. Still here, absolutely. Can I get us? But like, one of the things that was so neat because, and I often say this to your point, that was so, God's sovereign work in your life, just meeting you where you were in your brokenness at that point in your life to let you know how much He loved you. And how important you were to him, and then he drew you into the church all by nobody even invited you. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. What was neat was once you got to the gym, I I recognized you from university because we both went to St. Mary's University. So shout out to all the Swimming Huskies uh, grads Ooh. out there. Uh, but you, uh, I I knew that you were hungry, and there was just, you had a whole road ahead of you that was going to be exciting. I kept inviting you to Alpha. Because for us, Alphas, you've already had that conversion experience, that just overwhelming re- realization of how much God loves you. And, and so you were already on that journey. And so for you, that Alpha, for me, what I wanted for you was to connect more and more with other people and also to help other people come to that. Because I knew in my heart that you were going to be able to help others experience that. T- share a little bit with us in terms of your journey to get to Alpha and maybe even a little bit in terms of St. Benedict because you weren't going to the church at the time no, no. when you're coming to the men's leadership Yeah, church. that's right. So, I, I mean, I started going to Mass, which was lovely. I was still a little tentative, right? I was still kind of dipping my toe. Uh, you all seem very lovely, but, you know, okay. Well, well you know, we'll just, just again, my, my you know, mindset would be kind of take it slowly. Um, so, Ron got very close to Ron at the gym very quickly, got asked to speak at a men's breakfast, which freaked me out, but uh, it was okay. I just kept saying yes. I, that seemed to work out pretty well, so I'm gonna, I think I'm going to keep doing that. Um, although, uh, Ron asked me to talk to what Alpha, because you don't have to be at St. Benedict long to know that's, gonna, that's coming at you. And I didn't think it was for me. So, Ron kept asking. Uh, I kept saying no. Uh, I think there was nine no's. I actually plot with my wife before I'd see Ron. I said, I'm going to see Ron. Why am I can't take Alpha? Oh, volleyball or hockey or work-related. Okay, thank you. And then the tenth time, Ron, and Ron never never felt judged, never. He just sort of smiled at me when I said no. And then uh, he caught me one time when I wasn't expecting the ask, and I said yes. And I beat myself up the rest of the day for being so weak. Um, and, you know, you know, I, and I went to that Alpha, and you know, I had a lovely table, but I was still a little unsure. I probably came to half the, uh, half the nights, didn't go to the weekend away because that wasn't going to happen. Um, and I was fairly happy that you know to get my Friday nights back. Although it was it was good, there was still kind of steps in the journey. Got, got a few questions answered, and then Ron, uh, you you called me up a couple of weeks later and said, you know, we we like to be on team at Alpha. I remember thinking, how desperate is this parish? <laughs> me, you know, as part of this leadership thing, and in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I said yes, and it was really on that Alpha and that Alpha weekend when I was on team, where uh, very very unexpectedly the Holy Spirit kind of kind of kind of jumped me. <laughs> kind of, you got mugged. Yeah, I really did, and it, it's it's been life changing for me and my family. Mm. And what was fun for me through that process again is 
when you recognize people, I remember Sandy Miller, who used to be the vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton Church, where Alpha originated out of. I remember being there for a conference one time, and he said one of his biggest responsibilities was to recognize people of capacity and draw them to himself so that he could in turn bring them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I was really fascinated by that concept, and he talked about it more in terms of what that meant in terms of influence, gave us some really funny and engaging stories. Uh, If I could just share one, was about this guy who was a musician, musician, musician. thank you, I was going to trip over that word. And and he saw capacity in him, and he asked him, he said, so I said to him, listen, I'm going to be going and giving a talk next week. I heard you play the guitar, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to bring your guitar and sing a song, because I heard you sing. He thought, I'm going to give him a little piece to see if he shows up and to see how good he is. And he did show up, and he did a really good job. So he said, I, I gave him more. I said, listen, I'm giving a talk in two weeks. Would you be able to bring your guitar and bring, sing two songs? And he said, sure. So he did. Anyway, somebody approached him after that second encounter and said, uh, Sandy, uh, I got some news. Um, I want to tell you this on the download, but that guy you got singing, he's, I smell alcohol in his breath. And Sandy said, I know. It's okay. What was happening was he would get so nervous because he'd never been in this church circle before <laughs> that to make himself feel more comfortable, he'd have some drinks before he came to lower his anxiety. And it didn't bother Sandy at all because he knew that if he could bring him closer to himself, Sandy was confident he could bring him closer to Jesus and then unleash him in his gifts. And in many ways, Bill, like Father Pat saw that in you. I saw that in you, and we didn't give up in terms of continuing to try to draw you into what we call the game plan, uh, where we can really invest in people, get to know people, love people, and help. Like Scripture says, you know, you don't put a, a lamp underneath a bed, you mm-hmm. put it on the lampstand. Mm-hmm. And some people, like Father James, you often say, everybody can be a better leader. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be this gigantic leader and have huge influence, but everybody can be a better leader. And there are some people who will have huge influence. Watch for them. Yeah. Develop them. That's right. And set them up for success. And in many ways, that's how I feel like. So, Ron, you were part of, I mean, this is, it's interesting to have you both here today, right? Because you've got sort of Bill, who were, you were on the journey, but Ron, you were sort of, you were just as much on the journey, just from a totally mm-hmm. different position. And you, you spoke a little bit about the game plan, but, and I've heard you before speak about like leadership pipelines and, and, and how we try and raise leaders. And, and we've got in front of us Bill, who, who was part of that. He's a product of that. Why don't you mm-hmm. speak just a little bit about what that experience was and how you went about it? Sure. What was so neat is, and, and the game plan kind of came to fruition, probably around year three, we really started to dive into, because we had a lot of programs, a lot of things going, we were having a lot of success in terms of change form, transformed lives and raising, raising up leaders, but there was a lot of chaos. Right. There was a lot of things going, we were trying to get to the heart of what's really working the best, so that it would help us make better decisions and be more focused. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast and are in a church that's active, and you probably know what I'm talking about when it comes to chaos. <laughs> it could be a really fun time of your development, but there also comes a time where you need to get focused. You need to understand where is the fruit coming from. And so, with the help of Tanya Rogerson and the senior leadership team, we began to uncover the very things that were most impactful. And so, we developed a graphic for it so that we could speak into it, so that, as Father James mentioned earlier, that we could be more intentional about it. And part of that game plan includes 
coming back on, you know, experiencing alpha, but then also coming back on team. And the team is where we get to raise people up to see, will they show up? Are they faithful, available, contagious, and teachable? And sometimes your first impression isn't the right impression. I know many times I've seen people who I thought were going to be great, have great impact, and have been really disappointed because they don't show up. They're not reliable right. mm. or, or something else, or they're not teachable. But then there are other people where I think they're not going to have that big of an influence, but I get to know them through team, and all of a sudden they become giants of influence and impact for the church. And so, I don't know how often I'm right, but it's not as often as I think it would be. It's not as often as I would pride myself. We often think we're great judges of character. Um, but sometimes being in ministry for a season or seasons really helps you understand what people are going to be able to do, what God has for a call on their life. And I really saw, you know, Bill, you have the charisma of evangelization without a doubt. And your capacity to connect with people in a way that they can understand and appreciate and open up doors without feeling judged or condemned. Mm -hmm. You have an incredible gift for that. And it was just so fun. And I saw that right away. But then as we began to give you the platforms, like whether it's speaking, as you continued to say yes, you've said yes to a lot of things. <laughs> and, and a lot of people have been impacted by your yes. And here's the cool thing. I think you're just getting started. <laughs> you know, I know you've been on this journey for five years and it's continued to grow and evolve. And I think it's got a lot of legs left. I'm so happy you're doing what you're doing at St. Benedict, and you're on the senior leadership team now, and you know, you're supporting staff in, in pastoral ministry. It, it's just so awesome. You know, when, when we first started uh, at, at St. Benedict Parish, when you, you came on board, I mean, we knew that we had a kind of a, a preliminary sense of, 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 of a plan, which I suppose you could call the game plan, which was that, that Alpha was going to play a key role in, 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 in turning things around, because we knew that Alpha, from past experiences, could could flip a switch on people. It could help them experience the Lord in a, in a, in a deeper way, in a new way, perhaps even for the first time, experience the Holy Spirit, and experience friendship and community within the church. Um, and, and that this was somehow going to contribute towards a change in what was considered normative. So that really was our first plan. Now, we did a whole bunch of other things too, but for, even from the start, we were clear that, that we really think if you're going to start anywhere, we suggest that you start with Alpha. We kind of were quite clear about that. We didn't certainly insist on it, and we don't, we still don't, but, but there was a lot of other things going on. And it was later when, when things really began to shift and a, a, a substantial number of people had gone through this and experienced it, that, that we switched into a a greater sense of clarity mm. and, and made the crucial move from the life of the church being about a bunch of programs to process, to a clear process. And that was a big shift because I remember one of the years, I think in one year, we had about 60 different programs of faith formation running and we'd, we'd produce a booklet with dates and, and just, it was crazy. It was crazy. But we moved to process and if you just look at the graphic for, for the game plan, you'll see that it kind of communicates process. I think it should, should come for up. For those of you that are watching. For those of you who are watching, those of you who are not listening. <laughs> Check out our YouTube channel. You can see it. But, it, but it, it, you'll see that it's it with the arrow at the beginning, Invitational Church, which is really the sense that in every it's a cultural piece. We want it to be normative across the board for people to invite. And our primary invitation point to people outside and inside the church who are not yet begun 
process of discipleship is is to alphabet it, which is the next item on the which the is the next item on the thing. So there's there is there's a process, but it's not it's not linear. You see, there's no arrows in between these symbols. So there are many on ramps, and the alpha team is is there because it, there's a built-in leadership pipeline. That's Bill, that's true. how we we kind of help to grow you and eventually becoming an alpha M- MC and and. It also symbolizes kind of the, a desire to see leadership development throughout everything we do in the church. And connect groups are key. And, and the men's gym eventually became one of our connect groups. And the core part of that is community. And, and then shepherding ministry from there, hoping, hoping and helping people to minister, not, not, not simply as responding to needs, but ministering out of their gifts. And then small groups, discipleship groups where people can grow in, in their understanding, you know, adult catechesis, Bible studies and such. And then, of course, worship, which is the Eucharist primarily, but all the sacraments and other times of prayer. So, Bill, you, what really happened when we discovered this, we had a, a group of people like yourself, in many ways, who, who had either not been connected with the church a couple of years before or were went to Mass, uh, but really didn't they sat at the back and were not engaged at all and all of a sudden these people are living like a, the full life of a missionary disciple and, and we asked the question how do we do that it's almost like playing golf you know when you play golf and you get a good shot and you're like that was great but i have no idea how to do it. <laughs> that's a good like, how did we actually do this and and it was like working backwards and we found yeah. we identified the process that we now call the game plan. It wasn't so much that we thought this up in a, in a laboratory and, and experimented with it as much as we did a whole bunch of stuff. And then when we saw the results, we said, how did we, how did we get there? Mm. What, what was the process that produced this fruit? And that's what we discovered the game plan to be. And, and so once we identified it, then we could then lean into it and be much more intentional about doing the thing that made the difference. So, Bill, now that, you know, I love, again, I love your story. I love... I love how you share it. And now you're in a place where you're helping other people, you know, go from the caterpillar to the butterfly, so to speak. And I know you've been heavily involved in this last season of Alpha, which has been an incredibly successful season in terms of winter and and getting people out. But what are some of the stories that you've seen lately, you know, even the last couple of months where you've been a part of, of just a blessing to be a part of their awakening? I mean, there's so, so many. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm such an advocate of Alpha because it, it was certainly my a big step in my journey. And I've just witnessed it. I mean, you know, there's various ministries out there. Some, there's a much more direct link to, uh, to seeing the fruits, uh, seeing the Holy Spirit step in and Alpha. It, it's just, it never stops. We just finished our weekend away about two weeks ago. And um, what we've done at each of those um, in the last three or four, and I think you championed Ron to start with, was that we asked people at the end of the weekend, uh, invite them up on you to grab the microphone and, and just share their experience of the weekend. And sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, sometimes it's you never know what you're going to get because you're just handing over the microphone. And uh, the first gentleman stood up. He was uh, 20 years old, big, tall, good-looking kid. And uh, I'd, I'd never met him, never talked to him. He was at a, a youth table. I'm not allowed at the youth table. Um, <laughs> but he took, the, he took the microphone and, and said, well, this is technically my second alpha because I signed up for the first one and didn't show up. <laughs> uh, and he said, but more importantly, he said, I found out in the last 24 hours that uh, I'm not the only one that's broken. Everybody here is broken, and this is a safe place to be broken. Mm-hmm. And he had, handed the microphone back. So I guess who's going to be doing some testimony at Next Alpha? <laughs> the twenty-year-old, yeah, yeah twenty-year-old. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think there are the words of Pope Francis, of, you know, saying that the church should be a, a field hospital. You know, it's a place for the for the broken to experience the ongoing healing 
grace of God and to and to a place where they can be at home because sometimes there's this image that you know the the church is supposedly some kind of club for people who think they're perfect. Another moment which was which was very unique. Uh, a lady came up. Uh, she'd be in her sixties, and she said uh, that she hadn't had an experience on the weekend. She didn't get this big Holy Spirit moment. Uh, but following Ron's talk, who had, who had uh, done the talk the previous day, she said, but I'm okay with that. And she spoke to the entire crowd and said, and I want everybody here who didn't have that experience hmm. uh, to be okay with that too, because sometimes it doesn't happen right away. So mm-hmm. I'm going to keep uh, progressing. You keep progressing. And um, and uh, we're going to be okay. And she sat back down and a hundred people gave her a standing ovation. Wow. Right? So who knows that? I mean, that that might have been the ember, uh, the ember planted on the hearts of some of the people just in that moment uh, to kind of get nurtured for down the road. And you know what, there's, there's you know, we, we ask um, uh, for testimonies, emails to come back just to, uh, you know, talk about your experience and we're getting those steadily and they're beautiful. You don't even, you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. You, like don't. That's the, you don't. You don't. Right. But a couple of times you get that little peak and it's like beautiful, but you know, you just trust in God and you, you know, you keep plowing forward and you just know that the Holy Spirit is going to touch these folks now, next week, next month, next year. And we played a, a tiny role and, and we turn it over to our perfect God and let him let him finish the play. Amen. And I get to have one of the best seats at the table. Yeah, <laughs> and that's awesome. a blessing. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, it's interesting, Bill, because I hear some people say sometimes, well, you can't judge somebody where they're at in their heart and their spirit. And, and I'm thinking, it's not about judging, it's about asking. <laughs> Ask. And, and at St. Benedict, we have a culture of asking people. We, we ask. Sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid the answer. We're afraid nothing's happening, so we don't ask anybody about their relationship with Jesus. And But it's become such a normal part of what we do, asking for testimonies and witnesses. And, and how often we're surprised of the answer. It's like, oh my gosh, Like people are just these icebergs. You see this little tip and there's so much going on under the surface. So didn't you share a story with us yesterday about a letter you received in just in confidence, yes, you know, with yeah. respecting that, that person. But yeah. tell us a little bit about that, Bill, because that was amazing. I mean, out of the blue, we, we had a, um, a young lady go through uh, Datum Alpha last year. She's just delightful. So we invited her back on team because that's the way it works. Uh, so she came on to team. She happens to be at my table uh, at, at team this time. And, and un- unsolicited, she sent me a 22-page letter on Friday uh, that told me her story. And I knew a little mm-hmm. bit, but I certainly didn't know all of it. And it's compelling and dramatic. Uh, and she just said, I, I, I had to tell the story because I do believe that God is going to use me to heal mm-hmm. other broken people, too. Wow. And she's been just an absolute gift. Um, you know, a, 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 an incredible journey through our parish. You talk about a field hospital. Mm. We had a whole bunch of people prepping her, including yourself. There's a mm. great story about you and her and getting interacting uh, at the baptismal font. And over the course of that, she's, in her words, she, she's healed and now she's completely on fire. You know, she's saying yes to everything uh, at amazing. the church and she's going to change lives. That's what I love about the game plan. Sometimes when, in some of the presentations I've made when I've, showed, I've shown it, so, some reactions, uh, usually of people in parish leadership say, you can't ask people to do that. That's that's. Are you are you crazy? You're asking people to to do alpha, to serve in an alpha team, to get involved in a community thing, and also do small groups at the same time. And you're asking people. We don't have to ask. When the Holy Spirit <laughs> shame on us if we don't provide yeah. the opportunities. So when the Holy Spirit works yeah. in people's lives, I mean, you, you don't have to ask people. People want that community experience. They they're they're dying to come back on alpha, and and they they know that. Christian community is going to be essential to this kind of life, they, especially if they've 
if they've been in the church, the version of church that is show up for an anonymous one hour a week liturgical experience, they know I can never go back to that. And for people who have never had really had a connection with church, after their Alpha experience, that's all they know is is some kind of authentic Christian community, and they know that they need it. And then there is a hunger, you know, for for prayer, for for scripture, for understanding the faith. And so that they I mean, sometimes they sign up for multiple discipleship oh my, groups. It's like sometimes we have to slow people down, but it's it's they say yes, they want to serve in ministry, and that that's so true. You know, when I often think that when if people are are praying or somehow have a sense of satisfaction in their spiritual lives, but yet they're not striving yes. to grow and to serve and to give, I'm thinking, what Jesus are they praying to? Like, the the authentic Jesus, he's, he's, he says, you know, you got to pick up your cross, which is you got to die to yourself. You've got to, you got to serve. You've got to wash feet. You've got to, you got to give of yourself. And, and an encounter with the real Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and personal prayer will always drive us uh, to 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 go beyond ourselves and to and to serve others, and if that's not happening, maybe the Jesus we're praying to might be more of a projection of our own particular needs. Mm-hmm. Well, I even extend further. You say they have a a, a want to serve. It's a need to serve. Mm. Like you 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 know, I'll speak to it, but others have spoke to it as well. Is that you know you've woken something inside. You, you found the greatest secret ever, mm. the greatest <laughs> gift ever, and. Uh, you just feel a responsibility to share it with loved ones and friends, and and then you realize I love everybody. Yeah. You love everybody. Go figure. I'm a vegetarian. I love the meat guy at Sobeys. <laughs> you, you love everybody. You you want to share this with everybody because you know everybody's broken, and you know you've got the solution to their brokenness. You can't not share. You know, Bill. One thing I love about you is is you, we all know around St. Benedict that Bill has the gift of tears so we, beca- we came prepared yeah. uh, but it's a beautiful gift and, it, and it's uh, it's so many I remember a number of years ago remember we did instead of a weekend homily we took a bit of a risk oh I remember we set up two chairs yeah, two chairs definitely. and I interviewed Bill I gave like a five minute homily then we sat down with chairs and I interviewed you Bill and we did it four times over one weekend, and and it was authentic and beautiful every single time. And you shed tears every single time, and it's like, man, it's just so, it's just so real and beautiful. And so many so many lives and hearts were touched. Uh, there was a few people who weren't too impressed with what we had done because it was an extra five minutes of mass time or something. But it was real and it was beautiful. And and I think I'm just so we're so blessed by you that it continues to be real and beautiful oh, um, I'm, I'm blessed back mm-hmm. absolutely it's been that's a shout out to our bishop too because i think that was an initiative that he asked the whole diocese to do is let's get a witness mm. like he's really been press you know in- inviting right. us that's to right. let's give people platforms to tell their story and again that's one of the other beautiful things i love about saint benedict is you know this lady who wrote you that letter that we have platforms that she'll be able to share her story. I think I tweeted one day a couple of months ago as if, if the only person who can speak about their faith in your church is the clergy, you'll never reach That's the right. potential God has for your church. That's right. People have stories of faith. What are we doing in churches to develop those platforms to give people opportunities to share this incredible witness of the God who loved them and saved them? The key thing is stories. I mean, do people know that they, they do have a story and, they, and they, they ought to have a story? I remember seeing a number of months ago by the writer Will Mancini, he writes often on issues of church renewal, 
from a non-Catholic perspective, but he had this tweet that I'm not going to use his exact wording, but but I'm going to give you the gist of it that that religious consumers have preferences, mm. missional people have stories, you know, and and that I I remember reading that and thinking, wow, that that is so right on. What do we have? Preferences or stories? When you think about your faith, your church involvement, do you have preferences? Because if you have pref- if you're primarily driven by preferences, then I'm sorry, it's about you. You've made it all about yourself. You got it all wrong. Church. You got yeah. it all wrong. If if your primary concern in your parish is my favorite mass time and what meets my needs, then then you've made it about yourself. It's about your preferences. But when you have that conversion to own the mission of Jesus Christ, then you have stories. You get your own story, and you're 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 dying to tell the stories of of other people. And, you know, I feel just compelled because it's on my heart. Um, so Father did phone me up and said, "I remember, what are you doing the, uh, this weekend?" I'm like, I don't know, Father, what am I doing this weekend? <laughs> and he said, you know, up at the altar, I'm going to interview you. You're going to give your testimony. And you're what to hang up. I said, I have no idea what that means. So you kind of gave me a bit more texture right. on it. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, the first meeting we ever had uh, in your office, um, I was like so lost and so confused. And what, what happens now? And you said, um, paraphrasing, you, you just surrender and God's going to use you uh, to save people's lives. Which I thought, well, that's crazy. But anyway, we'll, we'll just mm-hmm. let that go. Um, in the fourth mass, the 6 p.m. mass on, oh, yeah. on Sunday of that of that weekend, mm. again got interviewed. I shared. I cried. Sat back down, feeling relieved that my preaching was over for the uh, <laughs> for the weekend, and uh, was getting some um, nice goodbyes from people and hugs and welcome to the parish, which always happens. And then there's only one person left in the church. A lady came up to me, middle-aged lady, crying, and said, um, "I'm like you." I didn't know what that meant, so I just smiled. And she said, uh, "I've been to church in 10 years. I've done terrible things to my family." I have no relationship with my family, and I'm not worthy of relationship with God. Mm. And I just didn't know what to say, so I just kept staring at her. She said, I felt a strong pull to come to this parish on the weekend. I've never been here before. I had to look up to find out where it was. She came to 6 o'clock, mass sat in the pew, didn't know why she was there. I got up, and part of my testimony was, and I was completely empty inside until, and she said at that moment she knew why she was there. She knew that she was going to be able to fix her relationship with uh, with her family, and she'd be all right with God again. Mm. Beautiful. So she's weeping away. I'm weeping away after 10 seconds of a staring contest. <laughs> I finally say, can I give you a hug? And she laughed, said, I haven't had a hug in 10 years. Wow. So I gave her a hug. She walked out the door. I'm the last person in the church, sat down in the last pew of the church and looked up at Jesus on the cross. And I said, I get it. And I sent you two an email the next day. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe this happens to you all the time. But this is what happened last night. And I get it. Mm-hmm. And I still get it. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, Bill, I, I think of what St. Paul says, he says, we've been charged with, with the ministry of reconciliation. And he's this beautiful line, in, I, and I, I can't remember offhand the, the, the exact reference, but he says, be reconciled with God. We're, we're ministers of reconciliation. And when we experience reconciliation with God, it overflows into reconciliation with one another. And we become, as we tell that story of reconciliation, we, we help others to to be reconciled. It's it's such a beautiful gift. And and. It's so important, you know, because some people listening might be saying, why are you moving too quickly? you got some guy, you know, like who five years ago wasn't even going to church and now he's like on your senior staff and isn't that a bit too quick? Did you, where did you get your study your theology? Don't you have a theology degree? <laughs> no, I studied beer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, of course, there's, there's, there's very much a need for, for us to have lay staff who have theological background and, 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 and formation, but... But here's the thing that we that we find is that again, if you want to have a culture of evangelization, it's the, the tendency sometimes is we get 
as you get more formed, and it's not that in any way that we're against being formed, of course, but you got sometimes you can lose that missional edge, and I think that that one of the things that that you bring is is, is still an, an acute awareness and sensitivity to people on on the outside, and that helps to shape the overall culture to to keep connected in in that way. And besides, we're not. We're not. You haven't been tasked to teach theology, so no, it's nor, not, nor should I be. It, it's not an issue. It's not an well, issue. Well, and there's the teachability too, because because when we look at leaders or people that were forming as leaders, we say, are they faithful, available, contagious, and teachable? Mm. And that's the thing. Bill has an incredible humility, and yes. and he'll enter into difficult conversations. He asks questions when he doesn't know things, and if he needs to be corrected, he'll receive the correction. Mm. And and we can work all day long with people like that. And I'm yeah. the same way. I don't have any theology, yeah. but, you know. The official theology Bill, training. Bill, it is, it's amazing to see what God has done in your life over the last handful of years, and it's amazing to see what God is doing through your life now, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today and just share a piece of it. I know that the work you're doing at St. Benedict is, is continuing to touch lives and, and your ability to share it uh, through through the Divine Renovation Ministry to, to others around the world. I mean, we're just so grateful for your, your, your ongoing contributions and participation. Uh, there's a couple quick uh, things around Divine Renovation. If you want to learn more about Divine Renovation, check out our website, divinerenovation.net. Uh, we've got some seats left still at our two uh, upcoming events on May 9th in London. Uh, so if you're interested in joining us for a Divine Renovation Day, Father James, you'll be there. I'll be there. And we've got some team on the ground. It's going to be a great day. So May 9th. Father Simon is going to be there too, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's yeah, yeah be London, I believe yeah. he is, yes. Um, and so so join us on May 9th in London. There's a number of seats there left. And uh, also here in Halifax, Divine Renovation 2018 Conference. Still have some seats left on that. You can get those both of those events. You can get find, uh, find registration available on our website, Divine renovation.net and of course our coaching network we've talked about it a lot today so there's a number of parishes that we coach around the world here in canada the united states australia england scotland, scotland. and if i forgot your country it's only because it's my favorite and i i, I just <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we we have our coaches uh, coach uh, parishes all over the world so if, if your if your parish is, is interested in that check out our website again for a way to, to get connected with us because it's our hope to inspire and equip par- parishes and uh, and leaders all around the world Thank you.